0: As- can you hear me? I can. Can you say that again? You're were...
1: a bit no. Tricky, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Okay, good deal. Slamicum, Sylvia, how are you doing? see if you're still connecting. And give me a second here to get my notebook up. How's God, I'm low cover? Good
0: hello. It's Good yeah. It's good. You got unseasonably cold weather a few days ago.
1: Mm. Unseasonably cold for you. So what is unseasonably cold?
0: Like ten degrees.
1: Okay, so so Chicago. Making...
0: Yeah. Denver is usually very nice. Mm-hmm. People think it's very cold, but it isn't. Mm-hmm.
1: And Sylvia Aslam, how are you doing?
0: Waalaikumsalam, I'm doing good.
1: Good. Deal. A boss taking care of you?
0: Yes, he's wonderful.
1: Good. Deal. Let us know if he's not. The two of us <laughs> will take care of him. Okay. We don't have to let anybody know. We'll use a Hover's Kicks and yeah. my arguments. Alrighty. Oh, shut up. very good. Uh, okay, I think we can begin. So let me just look at one last screen before. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. So bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nakhmaduhu unasalli ala rasulahil kareem amma ba We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa Turn off all these 50 other windows. Okay, so, so continuing uh, where we where we left off to review very, very briefly Uh, let me turn on the screen and let me know once I do that, that you can see my screen. All right, can you see my my OneNote screen? I can. Yeah, you said you can as in yes? Okay, good. All right, inshallah. The the key thing you're gonna keep hearing me repeat in terms of approaching the Quran this way is that uh, we have to understand the difference between, for example, uh, what we call bayan versus ta'wil versus tafsir, and this is almost none of the three. And yet it is informed by all of the three. So when we speak of what we call bayan, So, bayan, and then, let's write these terms for you, that versus tafsir. So, bayan is sort of any type of reflection on on the Quran. And, and so, it's the type of material you would see in a general one-time lecture, or it's the type of content you would find in a jummah khutbah That's essentially bayan. Ta'wil is a little bit more precise and it's expressing the meaning of a verse, a meaning of an ayah. And that's usually what we think tafsir is, but tafsir is actually very different. And and so most people misunderstand the purpose of tafsir. The first two bayan and ta'wil are for lay people, are for the common Muslim, meaning to help refl- uh, the common Muslim to teach some reflections on the Quran to the common Muslim, or to give that explanation of the Quran to the common Muslim. Number one, tafsir is written by scholars for scholars. And, and what is a tafsir actually doing? It's not telling you, here's the ayah, here's what it means. Because that's almost effectively saying that Allah didn't choose the right words. tafsir is saying, here's the ayah, and here's an expansion on everything it means. So you have the apparent meaning of the ayah, just looking at the words, looking at the definitions, and that would be in the realm of, t- of ta'wid. Right, So here's what the ayah says, and if you don't quite understand what it says, here's it to help you. Tafsir is saying, here's the ayah, and if we add this dimension, or if we look at blank spaces in the ayah, it includes this as well. And it includes this as well. So Tafsir is essentially trying to expand the reach of each ayah, or each passage, by passage, I mean a collection of ayahs. That's what Tafsir is. We often think that the it is saying, okay, here's what the ayah is, here's what it means. And when I'm saying it's written by scholars for scholars, it doesn't mean that a lay person is banned from reading it. It means that there's a lot of assumptions that the lay person will not be aware of. So the scholar will leave out a lot of information because the other scholars are trained to already know those, those assumptions. So one simple assumption, for example, is that it is assumed that every ayah may have unshared blank spaces in them. And so let me explain what this means. So, So I'm leaving one screen, and then hopefully you can see my Quran screen. All right, can you all see the screen with the Quran website on it? Yeah. Okay. So if we go to Surah Al-Baqarah, and I'm just going to pick some other translations, because I don't like their default translations. No, no. We'll go him. Um, yeah. Okay. So if we scroll down, hopefully I'm not going to cause you a seizure by how fast I'm scrolling down. Okay. I think it's I have 47, 48. Right here. Okay. So I have 47 of Surah Al-Baqarah. Israel, oh, O children of Israel, remember the blessings that I conferred upon you and that I gave you excellence over all the worlds. Okay. And guard yourselves against the day when no one shall stand for anything, no one shall stand for anyone in anything, nor shall intercession be accepted on anyone's behalf. So the ayah looks like it's saying categorically, there's no such thing as shifa on the day of judgment. Right, that's literally what it's saying here. But the assumption is that there's a blank space there, and what fills the blank space first? Other parts of the Quran. So then, if we go to Ayatul Kursi. So, Allah, there is no God but him, the living, the sustaining, neither does it, dozing, overtakes him, nor sleep to him belongs all that is in the heavens and all the earth. Who can intercede with him without his permission? So, if we take these two ayahs together, they don't contradict. First ayah says, uh, no intercession. This ayah says, No intercession except as he permits. Now, does that mean there's no intercession? When we look at the Hadith literature, there's all kinds of shifa. The Prophet will be shifa if you read the Quran, it will be shifa for you. If you read this particular surah, it will be shifa for you, so forth and so on. And those are authenticated narrations. So then a second principle that is also added. So one principle is that every ayah might have blank spaces in it that are filled primarily by Quran or elsewhere by the Hadith. And you take the widest or the most rahmah, the most merciful interpretation. So the least merciful interpretation is no shifa, no intercession. But the assumption is that this ayah seems to allow for intercession. So you go with that opinion because it's more merciful. And then it's corroborated by the Hadith. So many Hadith narrations giving intercession. Let me know if this is confusing. By all means, feel free to to ask. The greater point we're making is tafsir, in the way tafsir operates, written by scholars for scholars, is assuming that you already know that there's blank spaces in, in potentially every ayah that are primarily filled by Quran. And then the second assumption is that you're taking the most rahma filled uh, interpretation of things. Because rahma is a repeated attribute of Allah, especially in Al-Fatiha. And feel free also to push back if something doesn't make sense. Now, <laughs> going back to... Uh, going back to this, um, uh, the my one note, So, that is tafsir. Then, the question is, what are we doing? Um, Can you see the one note again on the screen? Yeah. So, another thing is called tadabbur. Tadabbur. The idea of tadabbur is essentially deep reflection on the Quran. And so imagine you're looking from Google Maps or from a satellite, you're looking at an island in the middle of the ocean. And then imagine through a, uh, a submarine or scuba diving, you're looking at the, uh, the island, and then you see what? On the surface, you have, uh, you have the island, but when you go underground, you're going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and, deeper and finding how big and wide the island is. And so that's what we're doing. We're doing that type of reflection. And and so the uh, this particular approach to the Dambur we're doing, um, you'll find a number of different approaches. We basically are looking at each phrase as steps in a path. So the first phrase we said was the Ba, saying that this is all about connection. And then the first connection is the ism is with Allah and and how to get to know Allah by way of his names. And then from there, once we understand that, then we get into the two of the most prominent names, the most in mercy, the eternal in mercy. And then we said, if you understand this, you understand the essence of al-Fatiha and the foundation of, of everything. And then from there, last time, we went further. So we went from there to the understanding, why do we do hamd of Allah? Why do we do praise of Allah? Primarily because he is Allah. Secondarily, because of all the wonderful things that he's done and he's created. And then we went to Allah as Rabb of all the worlds. Anybody remember the, the full definition we gave of rub? The long one
0: moves from despair to oh, despair.
1: That was uh, that was the definition of ilah that he takes in from this despair into hope oh, okay. and confusion, clarity, and then um, from uh, the danger to safety. So Rab is the one who takes you from immaturity to maturity according to your unique design. And in the simplest translation I suggested was nourisher. We usually see Lord. Lord also works because it has the element of authority. But <laughs> Lord, if you think of way back in medieval European times, it works better because it's the authority who's also the one who is running the whole, the whole area. The Rab of all the worlds. So now, continuing, this is where we're beginning today. As you know, the next step in the surah is Ar-Rahman and ar So, what are your reflections? Why or what is the wisdom behind the fact that Allah is mentioning Ar-Rahman rahim and then again Ar-Rahman rahim So, Bismillahir-Rahmanir-Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Alameen, ar rahim what would be the possible wisdom behind the fact that Allah is sharing Ar-Rahman, Ar-Raheem, repeated? What are your thoughts? Shada, what do you think? Yeah, today we're going to call on people. So the
0: question is, um, there is bismillahir rahmanir rahman raheem and then there is Alhamdulillah rahmanir
1: Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. And then... Of course, yes. Yeah, and then right <laughs> and after, and then after that...
0: Yeah. ar rahman ar rahim mm, uh i mean i would think that the the emphasis would be one thing maybe
1: yeah yeah absolutely emphasis is probably the big reason and this is a point to consider by how repetitive the quran is right the quran over is it, and over isn't the- isn't also
0: bismillah uh, considered part of uh, fatiha but also I think some people consider it to be a beginning ayah for every surah. Is that true?
1: So so there is debate over whether yeah. or not Bismillah is officially part of Al Fatiha. And the history yeah. of the debate is that the Prophet, peace be upon him, when he would recite in Namaz, in Salah, sometimes he didn't say Bismillah, Rahman out loud. So imagine Maghrib, he's starting with Alhamdulillah, And then in other narrations, he's starting with Bismillah Rahman Rahim, and so then the question is, is this part of it or not? Mm. (laughs) And it's fundamentally an academic point because every single printing you'll see of of Quran is going to say Bismillah Rahman Rahim, and even if we're just saying Alhamdulillah first out loud, we're still saying Bismillah quietly first, right? And so, what is the actual semantic difference? Um, It's basically when you're printing the Quran, do you put a number one after Bismillah Rahman Rahim? And then, yeah, to continue your point, then, how did the Sahaba know? How did they identify the different surahs? Today, we might identify the surahs by their names Al Fatiha, Al Baqarah, Ali ibran Al Ikhlas, mm-hmm. so forth and so on. And the Sahaba would know that a new surah began when you see Bismillah Rahman Rahim again. Or they would just remember the surah by the first few ayahs. They didn't really have names very frequently used. So imagine you go to a kid and say, Do you know Surah Ikhlas? And they'll be, What are you talking about? You know, yeah, right. And so, and then you know that Surah Tat Tawbah does not begin with Bismillah Rahman Rahim. And why? The primary reason is because that's how the prophets uh, organized for us. The interpretation is because that surah is very tough. It's a very, very categorical surah.
0: Was it, wasn't there also that it's uh, it could be a part of the one before it? Was it in Al Anfal or um, there's that, a surah is, before it, right?
1: That is yeah. one of the, the the secondary theories, yeah. And so, again, in practice, it doesn't really make very much difference. It really makes a difference on the printing on the page. Yeah. Okay, so so one theory for for why we have Ar Rahman Ar rahim is just to emphasize. Another could be for the poetics. Alhamdulillahirabbilalamin Ar Rahman Ar rahim Now, how different is that from? rahmanir rahim ar rahim It also adds uh, 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 an auditory quality to the to the recitation, and that is also a very valuable part, because here we're focused on the meaning. But you and I know that for nearly one hundred percent of the Muslims of the world, including most Arabs, it's more of an auditory experience, a phonetic experience, as opposed to meaning and and so let's do some interesting experiments so we have bismillah and then we have ar-rahman ar and then we have alhamdulillah alhamdulillahirabbil and then we have ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, yeah? How does this change if instead of saying ar-Rahman ar-Rahim we have different attributes? So instead of bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, suppose it's bismillah al-Jabbar al-Qahar, and I'll translate what these mean. So Al-Jabbar is the one whose will cannot be stopped. So sometimes it's translated as the mighty. The one whose will cannot be stopped. That's Al-Jabbar. Al-Qahar is the one who subdues. So now, Bismillah, Al-Jabbar, Al-Qahar. Alhamdulillahi, Rabbil Alameen. Al-Jabbar, Al-Qahar. So these are names of Allah. How does the feel change? How does the sentiment change? Very you know, tough. <laughs> yeah, it becomes very, very tough. Right? But these are also names of Allah.
0: Uh-huh.
1: What if we keep the first two, but we do ar So we have Bismillah, Al-Jabbar, al qahar Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Any thoughts? How does this feel? Yeah, Fatima, Bhabi, what do you think?
0: No, for me, it's familiar.
1: Okay. Yeah. here right, how does it feel? If you have Al-Jabbar, al qahar and then Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Use parental almost? It's Interesting. Dark, strict and then you go to the gentle after that. Okay, so it's the daisy parent. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Good. All right, what if we switch it around? So we have uh, Bismillah, Arrahman, rahim and then we have Al Jabbar al qahar Any thoughts? Haver, Sylvia Bhabi, Jewel, any thoughts? Yeah, Haver. I mean the emphasis is gone.
0: Uh Rahman It's not emphasizing the Rahma. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing how drama is there, but also, you know, coming, the might Uh is over there. Uh
1: And then if we add the very next line. Now, how does this affect it? Bismillah arrahman rahman al alqahar, This seems more scary. So it's more scary. So, yeah. I mean, I
0: alamin mean, basically. Although it doesn't say that, but it seems like most of the rahmah is for this world. Yeah. But might and everything else is going to come for the next.
1: Yeah, it's very scary this way, right? So what's interesting in the layout of the Quran is that there's a 50-50 balance of almost everything. And I've actually counted these things. And almost 100% of the time, you see a mention of heaven, you'll see a mention of hell. Sometimes you'll have a surah that's talking about hell, but elsewhere you have a surah that's talking about heaven. But the number of times is almost exactly 50-50. Or when night is mentioned, day is mentioned. Almost exactly 50-50. Okay. But there's no balance in the attributes of Allah. That overwhelmingly, it's rahmah more than might. And, and so balance in everything of creation, but we don't see the same balance in how Allah speaks about himself. Unless you want to consider the rahma to be his definition of the balance. And what i mean by that it's how much rahma he is giving and how little rahma he is giving. But it is all rahmah. Because it would it, it would not be wrong for allah taala to, to speak of himself the way i'm showing on the screen. Those are his attributes coming from our sources. But what he emphasizes is oops, is rahma, and so part of the journey here of faith part of the journey of the believer is to reach a point where you truly in your heart see everything as rahma. and conceptually that's very easy in practice it's very hard right so i mean imagine like so i posted about my experiences with these afghani kids you know and And I'm asking them, okay, tell me what's some good in your life right now. And they're like, there's nothing good. And then I have to remind them, okay, you're sitting in the comfort of a detention center. Yes, a detention center, but you have all your food being provided for you, clothes being provided for you. And you see right outside how ice cold it is in Chicago. And then I talk about, you know, homelessness and hunger in Chicago and everything. And so one point to consider is that you never are without identifiable rahma in your life, even if it seems like your life is horribly bad. There's always Rahmah, there somewhere, and if you're being fully objective, the amount of Rahmah in your life is infinity. Of course, if I step on a nail, right, if I step on a a thorn, I'm going to forget all Rahmah in that moment, right, I'm in pain. So it doesn't mean that your pain is gone, because did the Prophet, peace be upon him, have pain? Yeah, of course. I mean, he missed his wife, Khadijah, long after she died. We always speak about mourning periods to be three days. I mean, he's talking about her 10 years later, how much he misses her. And so the prophet, peace be upon him, fell to all of the experiences of pain. Although his challenge was that he still could not take time off from being a prophet. And so one example is when his son, Ibrahim, died. And you all probably know the story, is that You know, he buries his son and he's standing over the grave and tears are coming out of his eyes. And the Sahaba are asking why are you crying? He's going straight to paradise, which is true. And the Prophet Well, these said, Rahmah from Allah. Like the Prophet, you know, he had to go through the worst difficulty of human existence, dunya existence, which is to lose a child. And he lost five children, but he didn't get time off from being a Prophet to mourn. So he still had to be guiding and leading and everything. But the point making is that no matter what condition I'm in. If I struggle, I still have the pain and difficulty of struggle, but I still have to try to re-see all the rahma there as a way also to keep the, the, the struggle in perspective. Now, this is different. If I'm speaking as a teacher, I can't just say, okay, look at how great your life is. You know, that's maybe not be what the person needs to hear at that moment. So what Allah is emphasizing over and over again in his own description of himself is Rahmah. Nevertheless, all the categories, all the attributes of Allah tend to get put into one of two categories, the the attributes of Jamal and the attributes of Jalal. And so when we speak of the 99 names and the one Hadith and then the other attributes we find in the Quran and such, the yeah, totals, we usually have, give or take, about 120 or so attributes and names of Allah. Uh, Jamal are the attributes of beauty. And then Jalal are the attributes of majesty. So the attributes of majesty would include the attributes of power. Al-Jabbar, Al-Qahar, al muzil the one who makes someone Dalil. Uh, whereas beauty is nur. And of course, Rahmah. And and uh, you know, al-hani, all these things. So al-hani is also an attribute of Majesty. And so we can split them up this way, but all of this still is within the rahmah of Allah. And and so this is part of the goal: is to truly internalize the the depth and quantity of rahma that is being poured upon me. Okay. Nonstop. Now, to finish off, a question that we're going to, I'm going to raise now to uh, address for next time, inshallah. If Allah is so merciful that his rahma is being uh, expressed four times directly, but even Rabbil Alameen is also an expression of rahmah, if he is so merciful, then why is there suffering? Now, I'm going to give you a scenario. Suppose I'm going to give you two scenarios, real-world scenarios. One is my friend's niece, and another is a common scenario. First, the common scenario. Suppose you have a baby that is born addicted to drugs. And so the baby is born addicted to drugs because the mother was addicted to drugs. So the baby didn't do anything to earn this. So now the baby is suffering because of this to the point that it might, depending upon the severity, might even cause developmental problems of the baby. If Allah is so merciful, why do we have this? Second scenario, real world scenario, uh, a friend's niece in the past. This baby, uh, I forgot the name of the disease, it's something like Deborah, D-E-B-R-A. It's an initial like dermatitis, something, something, something. Her skin was so fragile that if you touch her skin, she starts bleeding. And so for 24 hours a day, she's screaming in pain because this also includes her esophagus. So to feed, she would have to have super, super soft liquid. And all day long, her parents and whoever else the caregivers were would have to put gauze bandages all over the baby's body. And by the time they're done, all the gauze bandages are bloody. So then they would have to take it all off and then do it again. And so this was a result of a one in a billion genetic anomaly. So in the first case, the parent did something and caused the baby suffering. In the second case, nobody did anything wrong. And so the question for all of you is, if Allah is so merciful, why do we have this? So think about it now. Obviously we can jump into the discussion now, but we'll save it for for next week inshallah. Okay, any questions about anything? Um,
0: I had one question about earlier. um when you were talking about the, uh, yeah, the, the four <coughs> uh, mentions there. So I've also come across Tafweed. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I've, 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 I've heard of that when there's discussion about the attributes of Allah. So I was just curious, um, I wasn't clear on what that was. I mean, I've, I think I've re- heard of the Ta'wil and of course we're very familiar with tafsir, but could you elaborate on what that is? That was a new word for me.
1: So the fweed, I'm going to have to look it up because what I remember the Fweed as is it's basically talking about uh, like when you're splitting off with someone. Um, let me go look up some stuff and see what I can find. Okay. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll make a note to, to look that up. And up. Uh, any other questions about anything? I mean, there are other, also other terms like Tafim. The um, yeah. And, yeah. Right. Uh, but I'll look up the Fweed and it's probably uh, slipping my mind right now. But uh, you're saying it's probably referring to something about Allah Ta'ala. I yeah,
0: I think I think there was it was in in the context of uh, understanding the attributes of Allah. So there were, there was um, there's one group that takes the literal meaning. Okay, yeah. Um, and then there's another group that says, well, we can't take it completely literally. Like when Allah says he rises above the throne, yeah. You you cannot take it. So I think I think there was the wordings for uh that sort of. Mm-hmm. explanation.
1: Yeah, I mean as, a, as a, a debate, that is a debate. And so so the Hanbalis, uh, there's a, uh, a number of, of the literalists that basically say when Allah has a throne he has hands, that's what it literally means. And then the others say yes because Allah says he has these things. They are things, but then we add the term Bila which mm-hmm. is basically saying we don't know how. Right. So what is the hand of Allah? Often it's interpreted as the power of Allah. But whatever it means, Allah knows best. Yeah. But yeah, let me look it up. I mean, what you're also reminding me of is uh, w- uh, a contrast between what is general Sunni and Shia thought versus general a group called the Mu'tazila. Is when Allah says He's Ar-Rahman, Allah has given us the akal, the intellect, to understand what does Ar-Rahman mean, so most merciful. So that's the Mu'tazila understanding. Okay. Yeah. Now the Sunni and Shia theology understanding is that. When Allah says He's Ar-Rahman, He's given us an akal, an intellect, to try to understand what this means. But Ar-Rahman actually means whatever Allah says it means, and we may never find out. And then on top of so the mutazilah say that Allah is limited by how He has described us, and the Sunnis and Shias say no, He's not limited by His names. He's not even limited by the fact that He's not limited by His names. And this may all be within the realm of what you're talking about in terms of what the is, but then I'm forgetting it at the moment, or maybe I haven't learned I have to. Go look it up, inshallah. I'll find out inshallah. Okay, thanks. Absolutely. Any other questions about anything else? righty. we will stop here then inshallah, and we'll continue next week with the, starting off with that question. Right, Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, Nashadu la ilaha illa anta nasta furuka wanted to be like may Allah all of you all inshallah wassalam alaykum wa rahmatullah